Financial Times in London, I'm Darren Dodd and this is FT News. Big data has often been talked about as a solution to a lot of the world's problems, including those in medicine. But a series of controversies in Britain's NHS, the recent Facebook scandal and Europe's introduction of tougher rules around the holding of personal information have called all this into question. So, should medical data be treated differently from other personal data? And what do the new GDPR rules mean for companies, the research community and for individuals? In the studio with me to discuss these matters is Sarah Neville, the FT's global pharma editor and NHS expert, and Tina Woods of Collider Health, an organisation that connects startups with government and investors in the health sector. And we're also joined down the line from Brussels by Christoph van Quartham, a data protection and privacy expert at the law firm Covington. So, Sarah, debate about how the NHS manages its data has intensified quite a lot recently, hasn't it? Could you tell us a little bit about the background and explain how the relationship between the NHS and these outside bodies became so fraught? I think the central problem was that about four years ago, five years ago, the NHS launched a very ambitious attempt to persuade people to agree to share their primary care data And the idea was that this would be brought into a central database and that this in turn could be used by both academic and commercial researchers. And the unfortunate aspect was the way in which it was handled by the people in the NHS responsible for attempting to win public support. They sent leaflets out, but many of these leaflets were discarded because they arrived through people's letterboxes, you know, just like a pizza delivery leaflet or something of the sort. And they also weren't very good at explaining the potential downsides. They presented it as an entirely positive exercise. And this had the unfortunate effect of marring what was, you know, I would argue, an impressive and a sort of very forward-looking endeavour. But it became mired in people's concerns about their data being misused and a feeling that the NHS wasn't giving them a really meaningful opportunity to opt out. And the result was, after several years, the initiative was formally abandoned. And even though ministers you know have continued to say that they think data sharing is crucial now the attempt to entrench that seems to have become more localized through various initiatives around the country which are designed to bring both health and social care together and it's actually very hard to see how they can work at all without having electronic record sharing. I was down in Dorset a couple of months ago and they have something called the Dorset Care Record which is sharing data from health and social care and the interesting thing is that they don't seem to have had any significant pushback from patients. Patients actually seem to understand the merits of this. So at one level, I think patients, if approached in the right way, see this as a matter of sort of eminent common sense. Is it the case that the line gets blurred when a private company gets involved? I mean, Google yes. and DeepMind, that came a bit of a cropper. Tell us about that. I mean, what... this was a partnership between DeepMind, which is a subsidiary of Google, and the Royal Free Hospital in Hampstead, one of the capital's most distinguished hospitals. And what went wrong there was that an enormous amount of patient data was shared with DeepMind for the purposes of trialling 
an app which was intended, I think, to improve treatment of kidney disease through the use of a large data pool, which in turn would allow algorithms to be developed that would detect patients at risk. But I think the real issue was that it wasn't explained properly to people the way in which their data was being used. And as you rightly say, Darren, I think that was especially sensitive given the involvement of a prominent global technology company. Tina, you spend a lot of your time putting different bodies together, the NHS, business, investors. So clearly it's a boom time for digital health. But what's driving this? Well, data is driving everything. Every single business under the sun has to almost revisit their whole business model around data. And you think about the success of the tech giants. Data is now the world's largest asset, and it only grows in value the more it's connected. It's not like oil, which becomes depleted. And of course, as a result of GDPR, citizens are becoming much more cognizant about the fact that their data has value. And of course, there's a lot of focus now on using data for societal good. Just look what Estonia is doing with their health system. We think the UK is advanced, but Finland, Norway, these are really using data in a way that will drive better preventative health. And that's really the name of the game. But actually, innovation is coming and data is coming from all sectors. The convergence around that data is actually the the really interesting piece. I mean, already we're seeing with the AI Select Committee report, they're already talking about taking the open banking experience, for example, and moving that into the health space where you're literally opening up access to data to spur innovation, catalyze new products and services in the way that is starting to happen with the revival of the open banking standard. And how can companies avoid the kind of problems that Sarah was talking about earlier? I think what's interesting with the general data protection regulation now underway, the whole table is turning on putting the onus of control in the hands of the citizen. And this is where I think the real value and opportunity of GDPR is. By putting citizens first, it's a really, really good opportunity to re-establish trust, which was lost as a result of the Care.Data fiasco and which was lost as a result of the DeepMind experience that Sarah had mentioned. So I think where the discussion needs to go is around the ethical use of the data. GDPR puts citizens in the driving seat, and that will potentially drive interesting concepts like data philanthropy. Because Sarah mentioned how the general public has no problem sharing data, actually, with the NHS. In fact, interestingly, the consumer rates the NHS as a much more trustworthy organization, far higher than Google and Facebook. And this is even a couple of years ago. And yet the citizen have no idea how they've been sharing their data with Google and Facebook. So this is the interesting sort of paradox. The citizen needs to be really engaged. They need to understand, A, that their data has value, a very, very important value that can be potentially leveraged for societal good, but also potentially be monetized. So this might spur the development of new business models, new opportunities, new revenue streams for business. Ideas like trusted data exchanges, where if the citizen is able to share their data and explicitly understand how their data is being shared, and of course, GDPR, Every year, the citizen has to be asked whether they consent to the use of their data. It's an opportunity to re-engage with the citizen on an annual basis. Why not have a mechanism where the citizen can share their data for ethical research? They can decide through the opt-in who they share their data with. That data can then be used by commercial organizations, academic institutions, big corporates. But the citizen is in charge of how they decide their data to be used. So it's a really interesting opportunity. So that was some positive aspects, possibly, of the use of GDPR, Christoph. But I gather that enthusiasm isn't shared by everyone, especially by the research community. One of the main concerns, I think, that we see in the research circles is the uncertainty that is being created by the GDPR. 
and in particular when it comes to health data. First, health data are obviously considered sensitive data, special data under the GDPR. So already the GDPR imposes a stricter regime to health data than to other data, which is obvious and good, but it's a complicating factor. A second complicating factor is that member states reserve the right to regulate health data themselves. So on top of the GDPR, you have member state rules, which, again, is a complicating factor, in particular if you have, for example, cross-border sharing of data. And that is really a very important issue today. There is a lot of uncertainty about what the rules are, whether you have to obtain consent, how broad the consent can be, what happens if someone withdraws consent. So much uncertainty that there is a real risk that people will be very adverse in sharing data for scientific research. That would obviously be a very bad thing for research in Europe because a lot of the innovation that we want to take place is based on people and researchers having access to health data and being able to do the research they want to do, be able to compile data sets from different sources and have better results from the analysis. And the rules don't necessarily make that impossible, but researchers aren't lawyers. They see very complicated rules and sometimes, given the ethical connotations, risk increasingly having the reflex of just not sharing because they are uncertain of what they can do with the data they have. What will happen now? Is this something that's going to take a few years to work through? And how do you see it unfolding? I think it will indeed take a bit of time to reach a kind of a modus vivendum in sharing of data. Many countries or member states of the Union are still considering their national laws to see how they will use the margin that the GDPR gives them to regulate health data. Those rules have only just been adopted or are still being considered in many member states. So the rules aren't even there yet in many member states. And then once the rules are there, there will be a lot of education that will need to be done. People have to learn what it means and a new standard will have to develop. Now, other elements can help. People are working on codes of conduct, both on national level and on European level. But these things take a lot of time and for the rules also to crystallize and new practices to develop that we know are accepted by regulators and institutions. We've read a lot about the right to be forgotten when it comes to internet searches. Is there any provision in GDPR for something like the right for your data to be excised? Does it cover those kind of areas? Mm -hmm. Yes, the, the GDPR contains a specific article on the right to be forgotten. Actually, the words are there in the title of the article. Now, what is important to understand is that that is not a blanket right. Not everyone has a right to be forgotten all the time. It does apply where data are being processed on the basis of consent, for example, and someone withdraws that consent. In that case, you may have an obligation to actually erase the data. That's why the use of consent is also a risky basis for scientific research, because in the middle of your research, you could have a number of people just withdrawing that consent and having their data deleted. Now, that can be a very big problem in scientific research. And in some cases, if you think of clinical trials, for example, the integrity of your study and the study results is very important. You can't just start deleting data midway. I mean, that doesn't work. Now, again, it's not a blanket, right? And there is actually a provision in the GDPR under the article on the right to be forgotten, which creates a derogation or an exception for processing of data in the context of scientific research. 
with some limitations. It only applies the exception if it renders the research impossible or if it seriously impairs the research. But there is a derogation, and that's what you often see with the GDPR. There are strict rules. There are often derogations, but it's often formulated in a very vague way, which makes the researchers uncomfortable. And what does it mean to render the research impossible or to seriously impair the research? Can you rely on the exemption or not? And when can you rely on the exemption? So vague rules is not helpful and creates a lot of uncertainty. Just a quick observation. First of all, technology is always going to be quicker than regulation. Already the NHS are looking at a code of conduct to actually be quicker so that there's a way of doing all this. I think the big focus and opportunity is really on all the data that at the moment are being collected through sensors, wearables, through Amazon Alexa and all these devices. There's a lot of consumer data that holds the key to preventative health because financial data, for example, can identify a person at risk of dementia years before a person will even know it. So there's all this data that can be analysed and used to help people live a healthier, longer life. There are some great opportunities, but I also think great opportunities for consumer-led data businesses to really get involved in the health and wellness space in a big, big, big way, especially with the growing ageing demographic. Okay, well, that's a good positive note to end on. My thanks to Tina, Sarah and Christoph, and thanks for listening. And don't forget, you can read more on this and other health issues at ft.com slash health. Hello. We're rethinking our podcast strategy here at the Financial Times and we'd love to hear your views. We're asking listeners to rate our podcasts and to tell us what you like and don't like about our shows. To contribute to our survey, follow the link in our show notes or go to ft.com forward slash podcast feedback to enter our prize draw to win £500 or the equivalent in dollars. Here at Bellingcat, we get to the bottom of things. From a global crisis to an underreported event, we find the facts using publicly available tools and resources, uncovering what is hidden on and below the surface. We connect the dots using social media posts, satellite images, and public records, and empower others to do the same by sharing how we do it. The ability to do so is only made possible by our readers, supporters, and community members. Care to join us? Learn how at bellingcat.com.